0: I like to go through a book of the Bible maybe once a year. If not, I make myself do it every two years so that I'm just not picking stuff all the time. But see, when you go through a book of the Bible, what happens is is you've got to deal with the text no matter what it says. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just right there. We're at chapter 2. What are you going to do? So, so we're in chapter 2. I mean, so turn to chapter 2, and I'm going to read this to you. This is not necessarily a, a scripture that I would go through the Bible and say, You know what? I'd like to preach these verses. But I believe that it's got something for us, no question. Everything in Scripture has something for us if we can just mine it and dig it out and let the Spirit of God speak to us. And so this morning we're going to start in James chapter 2. I'm going to read 13 verses, and then we're going to unpack it all. Amen. Amen. So verse 1, James chapter 2. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly... And a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that your mercy does triumph over judgment. And that, Lord God, we stand deserving of judgment, but Jesus, you have extended mercy to each and every one of us. God, you know what we're all going through this morning, but I'm asking that your Holy Spirit would come, and God, that you would anoint me, that you would give me the words to speak as I ought to speak them. But, Lord, you would penetrate each and every heart this morning in the way that only you can, God. So we invite you now to have your way and let your word do its work in our hearts and in our minds, and that we can know you more deeply and fulfill your will for our lives. And we ask it, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So he talks about partiality, favoritism. Any of y'all you got in here, let's just be honest this morning. Well, you, you got any favorite people in your life? You know what I'm talking about? Are there any people that you just don't like? Are there any groups of people that you just don't prefer? Like, uh, you know what, these are, these are kind of my guys right here. That, that bunch of people over there, not a big fan. It could be political it could be like, you know, some of you younger folks, I don't know if you're in high school this morning, maybe you hang out with a certain group and you shun another certain group. Maybe maybe one of your group with the jocks. Maybe some of you are nerds. Like, like we, we split up, right? And we play favorites a lot of times. And this is kind of what he is getting at. He, he's saying that there are times when every single one of us, maybe at some point in your life, you felt like you've been outcast or you've been wrongly judged. Like, I feel like I've been wrongly judged a couple of times. You know what I mean? I remember when I first went to EKU, I started hanging out with the, uh, I started kind of dating a girl that was from Ohio, and she was from Dayton, and, 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 and I'm not judging her, you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and, but but she, she, she said, you know what, when she got to know me a little bit more, she said, you know what, Clay, she said, you, you, the way that you talk, you just sound so ignorant, but, but it turns out that you're actually pretty intelligent. I was like, well, thank you, I appreciate that. I, I don't feel judged at all. Uh, and, 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 but here's the thing. It can happen in a variety of ways. Like you can get into trying to find in, in, into some kind of inner circle. So I, there was a crowd there that I was a little bit shunned for whatever reason. I wasn't a member of a fraternity, and, and I talked a little bit weird because I was from Southeastern Kentucky, and all these people from Ohio like Brian Colville were just being weird. And, uh, but, but, but you get the point that I'm making. And here's the thing. He's not getting into petty things like that. He's actually saying that in the churches, y'all, you're adopting kind of a worldly mindset where there's certain people that come in that you sort of turn your back to. And there's another group of people that you honor and place some value on. And there is distinctions among you where you can actually look at the church and say, hey, it's clear that you guys are putting this group down and you're lifting this group up. And he says, when you do that, you're actually committing sin and you have become judged. With evil thoughts in your heart, and now don't get me wrong—we're different. We, we recognize differences, but in the Christian church, when there are issues and you feel different about people, there's a way to honor people who are different than you. We live in a world where there's more division than ever before, and there—I mean—they'll they'll divide based on race. Black and white, they'll divide based on Democrat or Republican. They'll divide based on this nation or that nation. They'll divide even in communities among which school do you go to. You know, and there's so much division to the point that we want to tear down one group and lift up another group. And he's saying in the Christian church, among the body of Christ, there should be no distinctions among you. And here's the thing, what is it, what about, maybe you felt rejected, but in another sense... In some ways, how are some people on the outside of you looking at your life and saying, well, you know what, I feel like you've not really given me a fair shake. I feel like you're not even open to a relationship with me. I feel like you're not even interested in having a conversation with me because you've got some kind of bias, some kind of prejudice, some kind of partiality toward me, and people begin to sense that, and they notice that. Now, now there are times, you know, people get wounded because they have church hurt, and I talk to people all the time in communities where they, like, church hurt's a legitimate thing, right? You go into church, you expect the people in church to be pretty good people. Turns out, guess what? They're just people, too, like. Most of them are pretty messed up, and so they say something or do something that offends you, but because you've got such an expectation and a standard on these people who are supposed to be representing Jesus that you get highly offended, and then every other time you try to go back into church, you just assume that these people are judging you. And so it goes kind of both ways a lot of times, doesn't it? And, and, and we find that happening, and it causes issues, but our fallen sinful nature tends to feel more comfortable with people who are like us. Isn't that the truth? So number one, if you're taking notes, I've just got five points I'm going to give you. But this first one is that we tend to show partiality to people who are like us because they make us feel comfortable. Amen. We tend tend to want to hang out with people who are like us. We even tend to a lot of times want to minister to people who are like us in the Christian church. We want want people who are like us to be around us, and if they're not, they make us feel uncomfortable, so we try to distance ourselves from them. And here's the worst thing that happens, is when people are not like us, they're a a part of a group that we don't want to be a part of, whatever that group may be, instead of loving them, what we do is we judge them so that we can have a basis on which to reject them so that we don't have to enter into a relationship with them. Well, that person's just a this. Uh, you fill in the blank. I don't know what you want to fill in. They're a Democrat. I don't. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I don't know what you want to fill it in with. But you fill that in, and, and and so now you've made a judgment, and you've just generalized them and put them off in a category to where you don't have to have a loving relationship with them. Now uh, the early church, they had the team. The teams were different, but their attitude and their heart was the same way. They had Jew and Gentile. They had rich and poor. They had slave and they had free. And you saw this. Now here's what was crazy. Is you had these distinctions in these groups. Jews weren't going to associate with the Gentiles. They weren't going to associate with the Samaritans. And they were going into the synagogues and you saw those distinctions. The rich and the poor, there were distinctions. The slave and the free, there were massive distinctions. Then all of a sudden, Jesus dies on the cross for the sins of the world. And he's raised from the dead and they start having church gatherings and guess who shows up Jew and Gentile rich and poor, slave and free. Because when Jesus did what he did on the cross, let me tell you something, folks. He tore down every wall that could ever divide every human being. There's no longer black or white. There's no longer male nor female, rich or poor. We are all the same. And it's not about what we own or what we have or what color we are or what nation we come from or what kind of social status or job we have. It's about the man that we know, Jesus Christ, who has died and put us all on an equal playing field and he says when you come into the church they should sense that they should sense that you're honoring each side of equal value because you don't see what they've got on you don't see where they come from you don't see their accent you don't see the labels that everybody else puts on them, you don't see a political party you don't see a denomination you don't see these things you see a human being made in the image of God who is worthy and deserving of our love and our care and our compassion and most of us, we would say, well, we're Christians, man. We only I mean, you're preaching a message. You are preaching to the choir, brother. We already do that. We love everybody. <laughs> and, uh, and we don't, Clay, I mean, you get through it since it's in James, you know. But, uh, but that's not an issue that we're dealing with. Verse 1, he says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith. In our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. James, you remember what we said? James is the brother of Jesus, and he calls Jesus, not his brother. He didn't say, hey, show no partiality as you hold the faith in my brother, Jesus Christ. He said, he says, as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. The highly exalted one. When you're looking up to Jesus, it's hard to look down on anybody else. It really is. Because you recognize that he is the only one really and truly deserving of the honor where we could elevate one person above another. He's the only one deserving of that kind of elevation. And then he goes on to, he makes a very clear distinction here. He says, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly. Now the word that he uses there for assembly is only used once in the New Testament. It's actually synagogue. And that's because he was a Jewish man, and he, he met in the synagogue. They didn't really have church houses at that time. Church meetings were done in local homes and stuff like that. But they would still go to the synagogues a lot of time, and, and they would bring in a mixture of Jewish religion, but also some, some there, there were Christians there as well. And he says, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And notice what he says, if you pay attention... To the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place. While you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? My question to you is, who do you pay attention to and why do you pay attention to them? Who do you pay attention? Who gets your attention? Who draw- and why do they get your attention? Is it because they have something to offer you that somebody else doesn't? Is it because you think you can relate to them more? Like, who gets your attention and why do they get your attention? I remember we were doing, before, before a 2020 hit, we were doing street ministry a lot. And we'd do different things, like we'd go to Walmart and just look for people to pray for. Or, or we'd go, sometimes we'd go down to Bridge Street. And we would preach on Bridge Street and people would come out, we'd feed them hot dogs, give them coats and all this stuff. And I remember one time a guy said to me, he said, how come y'all go to Bridge Street? And I said, I mean, I don't know. I mean, we kind of thought about maybe it would be a good idea. I, got, I know a woman down there that's, uh, that's you know, we're in connection with her. She lives on Bridge Street, and she loves it when we come, and I, I think it blesses the people. And he said, you know something, man, let me tell you something. He said, people on Liberty Hills need Jesus too. And I think what happens is sometimes even in the Christian church, what we can do is we can think, well, these people got some money, and they're well off, so we don't really need to minister to them. Let's go minister to the poor people. You know what I'm saying? The people that don't have any money. And even in that, oftentimes you can be making distinctions. Because I don't care if you come in here this morning, you ain't got a dime to your name, or you're sitting on 25 mil, you both need Jesus. Because your money cannot go with you, and it will not produce an eternal reward for you. And so we as Christians should not see a human being based on and judge them how well off we think they are. If you don't know the Lord, you ain't well off, my friends. You are not well off. And so we want to minister. Even the scripture says that we minister to those who are in need. We are to do that. We're to minister to those who need clothes on their back, food in their belly. And, drink. And, and, and so there's a difference there because there's a lot of people that don't necessarily need those things. But who we minister to, we should not make distinctions on who we bring the gospel to. And so he says, who do you pay attention to? Because it was, for them it was an issue of seats, seating. Now this is crazy. I'm actually praying about this, okay? But uh, in the ancient synagogues, they actually used to charge for the seats. You know what I'm talking about? We're going to start putting these on Ticketmaster. It's going to be like A1 right there. we will roll them out. I mean, you know what I'm saying? So, so, and the, if you go to a synagogue right now, you still have to buy your seats. And on the most holy days, guess what? Ticket prices go up. You know what I'm talking about? We, we, we actually looked at going to the SEC tournament, and we, the nosebleed seats like $500 a pop. You're like, well, we ain't rich enough to get in that, boys, so let's forget about it. We'll watch it on TV in the comfort of our own home. I mean, you know you get YouTube TV or something for $70 a month. That's a lot cheaper than those tickets. So, so you just watch it on TV. But what, there are distinctions made based on those things, the seating. And so they would come into the synagogues and literally you would find out who was rich and who was poor. Because on the most holy days, everybody's flooding the synagogue. The rich are sitting up front and they're delivering them coffee while they're in there. And all the poor people are standing in the back. And and James is saying, you know what, how is it, boys, that you've been saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? And what they do over in the synagogue is now what's happening in the church. You're honoring the rich man and you're putting the poor man down and you're bringing distinctions in among yourself. And see, the Pharisees, they had this very specific type of religion where it was all about externals. They wanted to be seen on the outside for what they did and it was about performance-oriented religion. Now, Matthew 23, it says it like this. It says, verse 2, Jesus is talking about the Pharisees. He said, the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit on Moses' seat So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds. To be seen by others. And this is an epidemic in the church right now. Social media has caused us to move into a position where when we do anything that we do, if it is a good deed, we consider what it will look like on Instagram. That's a problem. When you do all of your deeds to be seen before people. He said, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. A a phylactery was like a box that you would wear on your wrist or on your head, and these dudes would be at the praying wall, and they'd have these big massive boxes on their heads and on their arms, and they would have written on them the laws of Scripture, and the bigger the box you had, the more religious you were, so that when you walked by, everybody would know, oh, that's a spiritual man. That's a holy man. What are the things that we do in our culture that does that same thing? Even by the clothing. that we, I remember when I first started preaching, and maybe some of y'all still feel this way, I don't know. But when I first started preaching, man, I used to there would be dudes come up to me. I went and preached at a, at a church one time. They gave me down the road every week that I did not wear a suit. And you know what? They, they, they kept doing it so much that I finally one day put a suit jacket on. No tie. Unbut, un, unbuttoned shirt. But, I, but here's the thing. You are straining at a nap, my friend, and swallowing a camel. What does not matter is what we have externally on our bodies. What matters is what the Lord Jesus Christ has done in our heart. But yet we still do these things to notify people, I'm spiritual and you're not. I'm spiritual and you're not. I'm holy and you're not. And in different ways, a lot of times we bring these things into our lives. And number two, the second point I've got for you is that religion practiced wrongly is about self-seeking status and judgment. Religion practiced properly is about secure servanthood and mercy. See, when they practiced their religion wrongly, the Pharisees, what they did is it was all about elevating them. They took what was supposed to bring them into a deeper relationship with God and they used it to say, look how holy we are. Give your attention to us. Look at us and give us the best seats in the house so that we can judge you and say, you're just a sinner. You're not quite on our level. It's about judgment. But see, pure religion that's practiced properly is about secure servanthood and mercy. You don't elevate yourself. You come up under others to serve others the same way that Jesus did. And rather than judging sinners who you think are somehow worse than you, you extend mercy and undeserved kindness to them to demonstrate the love of God to them that draws them into the kingdom. And this was a totally different thing that Jesus was trying to demonstrate to the Pharisees because they were missing the mark. And they always categorized and judged people in such a way that they didn't see themselves as responsible for showing mercy to these people. You ever judge somebody so that you're no longer responsible for showing mercy to them? Like maybe you drive down on the road and these do, well, them's just them walkers. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you judge people like that. Oh, well, they're just drug addicts down there in that house. And all of a sudden you've categorized a human being so that now you're no longer responsible for showing mercy and the love of God to them. Why? Because you've already made a judgment about them. You've made a distinction. You've drawn a line and somehow you've made what you are to be superior to what they are and they're no longer deserving of the mercy that God has called you to offer them. And that's what happens whenever we get into poorly practiced religion. We start judging people and elevating one group above another. And do you remember when Jesus comes on the scene, he was messing everything up. He was flipping everything on its head to such a large degree because they even asked him, they said, hey, man, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? What's going on? He said, go and find out what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Basically, he's saying, I don't want all your fancy religion that makes you look good on the outside. I want you to love people the way that I'm loving people. And then so now he goes into a Pharisee's house and he's sitting at at Simon the Pharisee's house. And if you remember the story, a woman comes in because he's about to go to his death. This woman comes in. She begins to weep. She busts a bottle of perfume worth a year's wages and washes his feet with her tears. And she's cleaning that perfume up with her hair. And let me tell you something. People would just say, well, that's just weird, man. I can't believe people would do that back then. Guess what? Nobody did that back then. It was as weird then as it was today. Today. If a woman does that, you walk. look, if you walk into a room and a woman's doing that to my feet, you're going to be like, we're going to fire a pastor. You know what I'm talking about? It is over. This thing is done kaput. Can't have no women washing his feet like that. She's doing this, and here's the thing. In his heart, the Pharisee says, if he knew what manner of woman this was, the type of sinner she was, ain't no way he'd let her do this. Jesus, knowing his thoughts, turns to him and basically says, if you knew the love of God and the mercy of God, you would know why this woman's here because she's coming to me for mercy that she cannot get from you, the religious leader. She's coming to to me for mercy because she cannot get it from your religious system. And there are people out here in our world right now, and the fact of the matter is, is they're honestly afraid to come to church because they, they already feel prejudged by the clothes they have on, by their past, by the drugs that they've used, by their social status, by how much money they've got, they already feel prejudged. And so we have to go out of our way like Jesus did to figure out a way to extend the love and mercy of God to people that may or may not fit into our category and bring them into a much broader category as the children of God. Where there are no longer social status and race or any other distinctions that you could possibly fit into that box, it breaks down with Jesus when he comes into the room. And so he's saying, when people come into the church, man, you've got to consider people differently than the way they are considered in the world. The world may consider them one way, but Jesus considers them another way. And you've got to be open to that. So in Leviticus 19.15, it says the same thing, do not pervert justice and do not show partiality to the poor. So there, he said there's even a place where you could actually, just because somebody is poor, you could make a wrong judgment and just show partiality to them because they ain't got no money. He's saying you need, to, you need to make an accurate assessment of what's going on and what God wants to do in a situation. And he says, or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Now, number three, we make judgments based on outward appearance, but God looks on the inside. And you know, we make the, we make those pre-judgments based on whatever we see on the outside. We just already how many times you do that, you look at a person, you just automatically make a judgment. Well, this person's probably that. This person's probably that. Wait, I get that we do that. That's just going to happen. It pops up in our head. But we have to push through that, penetrate that to get to know the person personally. That's the difference between judgment and discernment. I need to know you before I just make a call on who I think you are. I mean, you probably, most of y'all, you probably think I'm a jerk till you get to know me. You know what I'm talking about? That's how, that's how you go, you know that Pastor Clay, he's stuck up. He walked by me. No, I'm introverted, y'all. I'm scared to death of you. I mean, it's facts. When I pass by you, my heart starts beating because I'm like, I want to talk to this person, let them know I'm nice, but I'm really freaking out because I don't know if they'll like me or not. I'm introverted. Trust me, I don't think I'm better than you. I can t- promise you that. I'm just scared. So here's some externals. Here, here's some externals on judgments that we make when we look outside. It could be clothing or appearance. Like when we look at somebody, something that somebody's got on, or their appearance, or, or whether or not they're fashionable, we make a judgment based on literally what a person may or may not be wearing, or how they appear to us, and we make distinctions based on that. We make distinctions based on age sometimes. Well, they're just too young. Well, they're, they're old people. You know? And we make those distinctions. We, we, we still do, believe it or not, make distinctions based on race. Racism, I know, and here's the thing this has got so politically charged in the last few years that no, you know, it's like you can't even have a conversation about this anymore. But racism has been deeply embedded in our society for a long time beyond. My dad, growing up, he was telling me a story. He used to work at the pool down here in Manchester. And at that time, just when he worked at the pool as a kid, guess what? Black people weren't allowed to come to the pool. It's called racism, it's sin. You need to repent of it if you have it in your heart. Amen. Clap, no. (laughs) Number four, social status. If somebody's elevated, maybe they're, maybe they're a politician. Maybe they rub shoulders with politicians. Maybe they just got elected in a recent election. I don't know. But th- your social status, how much money do you have? Your money, your possessions. We look at the kind of jewelry they got, the clothes they have on, whether or not their shoes are a certain name, brand, or something like that. And we judge them based on the car they drive into the parking lot on the outside, whether it's nice or whether it's not nice. We judge people based on where they're from. Like, how many people in here are from Buzzard this morning? You know what I'm talking about? Amen. Perceived intelligence. Do they have an education? Did they graduate high school? Did they go to college? Does this person got any sense whatsoever? We judge them. Denomination. Huh. This is probably the worst one, y'all. In, in the Bible Belt, this is the worst one. All the other ones, you're like, no, I don't really judge it. Oh, denomination. Those Baptists. Those people over there, they're Charismatic. They believe in speaking in tongues. My Lord. You know, I mean, like you, people get so uptight over s- subtle differences that they forget that we worship and glorify the same God. Now listen, if somebody's preaching legitimate heresy, we need to to expose that. But when the body of Christ spends all of their time nitpicking over fine details rather than coming together to love and reach the people in our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether or not you label yourself Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal, or Presbyterian, you are missing the mark of God. And you, 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 you come into partiality. That, that is the sin of partiality. Denominations in and of themselves are not sinful, but when you start to become partial based on your denomination, that is a sinful act. And nobody preaches that. Number nine, political party. Now, that's a big one, but I just ain't got time to get into it. Praise God. Number ten, perceived shortcomings. Maybe they've got a handicap or... Or maybe, maybe, they, maybe they have had a past that you worry about. But you, you see these things in these people and you judge it based on the outside of what's going on. But here, let me tell you this, partiality works both ways. Because it's not just sometimes the rich that judge the poor, it's the poor that judge the rich. It's not just the old that judge the young, it's the young that sometimes judge the old. And so it goes both ways, Whichever category you end up finding yourselves in, you can make a distinction. But he's saying when we come into the church, man, all of that falls to the ground and we're no longer looking at these externals. We are looking at the heart and we're learning to look up to the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ. This is why he calls him the Lord of glory because when you talk about glory, let me tell you all something. If you were to have a life transforming, and some of you have, A life-transforming encounter with the Lord of glory, with Jesus Christ, everything in your life changes. You see the most magnificent, most beautiful, most powerful. Look, when I first had an encounter with the Holy Spirit and Jesus was revealed to me, I legitimately hit my face. I wept. I was broken. Because all of a sudden, I saw the one who truly deserved all awe and worship, and glory, and honor. He is magnificent. And you should ask the Holy Spirit, show me this Lord of glory because if I see this Lord of glory, immediately what I'm going to do is I'm going to be humbled to a degree that I could never ever look down on another person because in the presence of His glory you see all of your brokenness and your darkness and your sinfulness exposed in a moment of time and you realize that if it were not for the mercy of God, I'd be just like the drug addict. I'd be just like the poor man on the street. I would be a homeless individual if it were not for the mercy of God. And when you see the Lord of glory moving in that way man something changes and he's saying if you look up to him you're not going to be able to look down on other people you're not going to be able to show this partiality but we get so tied up man like I, you go, when you're going through school we teach our kids even it's a system of well you need to get a good job well, you need to have a certain amount of money you need to maybe like, like if you're getting married most people give the advice hey marry somebody that's got plenty of money you know what I'm saying anybody ever heard that advice who cares what their heart's like who cares if three years in the relationship they go out and commit adultery on you? Who cares if, if, if they're meaner than a snake? Who cares if they're like one of them Proverbs women that just sit there and nag 24-7? You know what I'm talking about. Ca- if they got plenty of money, well, terrible judgment. Terrible judgment. You're judging based on externals. See, the time is coming, and I love this, but the time is coming when every single person is going to get no seats. You know, you can tell, like even whenever you watch an NBA game or something, they're like spanning the front row and you got like Jay-Z and Beyonce or something on the front row because they got plenty of money and that's what we value in our world, don't we? We value the celebrities. We look to them on, on fashion and what we should wear and how we should act, which is totally ridiculous. But we still do that and we look to that. That's the world. But it says the time is coming when we shall get new seats because in Matthew 19, Jesus says this. I love this. In the new world, When the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on thrones. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or lands for my namesake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Many who are the first will be last and the last will be first. See, we spend so much time... Living by worldly values, trying to climb the worldly ladder, to get some fame, to get a little bit of notoriety, to get more money, to build a better career. And let me tell you something: All of these things, in and of themselves, they're not, a better career, better job, it's not bad. So if, you, if you're looking for a better job, you try to make some money, I, we ain't hating. People got to work, people got to make a living, and guess what? Thank God that in the kingdom we got people that can earn some wages so that we can function in the kingdom, right? Money in and of itself is not an evil thing. God gives money to people who work hard sometimes, sometimes more people than others. That is not the issue. It's what has your heart and what you are judging based on. So we can have rich people in the house, we can have poor people in the house, and it's still fine because we look at the heart. That's what he's getting at. And so, he says, all these people trying to climb the ladder. Here's the funniest thing, though. If you ever looked at Jesus just outwardly, like how to judge you. Jesus was a 30-year-old man, didn't have a house, amen. He didn't have a job. He had no career plan. He was not educated. They said, well, where are you staying, Jesus? Right now, I'm just kind of couch surfing, man. We're going from place to place, you know what I'm saying? Son of man has no place to lay his head. Well, I mean, you ain't got a job. Well, I do a little street preaching here and there. Just rely on the Lord, you know. You would say, that man's insane. He needs to get him a college education. He needs to get him a good job. This is ridiculous. This ain't no kind of plan. What about retirement, Jesus? And you would look at him externally, and you would say, that this man ain't got no sense. But here's the thing. He was, he was pursuing his calling and not his potential. Can I tell you this right now? And this right here fits young people really good. You know, my potential, i got to be honest with you all. I could have went somewhere, I could have made a lot more money than what I currently make. But God told me, Clay, do not pursue your potential, pursue your calling. It's a big difference. You're going to pursue your calling, you may get more money. You may... Jesus could have had a lot more money. He could have had a way better job. Jesus could have run the government and absolutely dominated the government, couldn't He? He could have done anything. He could have been the best dad. He could have been the best husband. But His calling was not to be a husband. It was not to be a father. His calling was not to be a rich man. His calling was not to take over the world in a physical, literal sense. His calling was to die on the cross for our sins. And that calling led Him to the place where He would bring salvation to the entire world. See, He did not pursue His potential. He pursued His calling. And there came a point When he had to say, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Because in your life, there's going to be temptations where you want more of this. Because it's a worldly value. And the world pressures you to pursue that. And he's saying, yeah, that is good. That's that's good. That's not bad. There have been things offered to me that the Lord has said, that's not a bad thing, Clay. But it's not your calling. And there's a different thing there that you have to pay attention to. But the world has a system of values and God has a completely different system of values. But see, in the end, here's what Jesus says. He says, the people that was trying to get to the top that became first, he said, in the kingdom of heaven, they're going to be last. And those that were willing to humble themselves and stay at the bottom and serve me, he says, all of a sudden, they're going to be reseated and they're going to be first. In the new world, everything is going to be flipped on its head. The values that we once held dear, money, fame, prestige, power, all of those things done away with, and now all of a sudden the love of God reigns supreme. What did you have in your heart is what's going to be the issue. And in James 2, 5, it says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He has promised to those who love Him? See, there are two economies. There's an economy of your finances, and then there's an economy of your faith. And we always emphasize the economy of your finances, how you steward your money, how much money you have. And that is an important thing. Don't get me wrong. But it is not more impo- important than the economy of your faith. A guy named David Nystrom says this. He said, the word that James uses for poor, there's the Greek word. He said, it had by the late first century acquired the sense of the poor who put their trust in God and not in the hope for material wealth. For James, the contrast is stronger than simply between rich and poor. It has to do with those who trust in God, and those whose trust in God is mixed with a trust in the standards of the world. So he's saying that when James talks about the rich and the poor, he's not just talking about people who got money and people who don't. He's talking about people who put their trust in the world's values and people who put their trust in God above the world's values and material wealth. He said the poor people might have stuff, but they're not trusting stuff and pursuing stuff. They're living for God. And so it's a different... He's using a different kind of a language here. And he says these standards seem perpetually hostile to him and his designs. The phrase to be rich in faith indicates that these poor, unlike the rich... Not only have true riches here in this life, let me tell you something. You may have money, but if you ain't got the love of God, the joy of God in your heart, peace that passes all understanding. Let me tell you something. Uh, Whenever you come into the house of God, the Holy Spirit comes upon you and uses you to bless. There is no greater feeling of joy. I've tried drugs, sex, everything that the world has to offer. I've even had a little bit of money at different points in my life. But no greater joy in this life when the Holy Spirit comes upon me to show the love of God to somebody else that needs it. No greater joy in the world. And when we're obedient to the Holy Spirit in that, we've got true riches. True riches. And He's trying to bring us into this mindset of what they are. And He says in verse 6, You've dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich, the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well, but if you show partiality, you're committing sin." convicted by the law as transgressors. See, do, the question is, do you have true riches? Look, if you if you got a lot of money in here, thank God for it. Like, you driving a nice car, great. You know what I'm saying? Like when pe- Here's the thing. People build a nice house, build a nice car. I ain't hating. I'll come hang out at your house. You know what I'm talking about? I tell Andrea all the time she wants something. I'm like, we don't even need that. We got a buddy down here down the road got it. It, what, what, hey, what's yours is mine. What's mine. We're in the kingdom. That's my brother. That's my sister. Say, man, I wish I had a better car. Hey, my brother's got one right down there. We are the family of God, folks. The family of God. Some of us got some ched. Some of us ain't got that much. We love one another. When this one needs a little bit, praise God, this one gives them some. That's how it works in the family. We don't judge based on what we have, what we don't have. We are together in this thing. We thank God when one's got some. We thank God when they ain't, but we help them out when they need some. And it all runs together where we become the children of God, the family of God, and we love one another, and we ain't looking on externals on what they got or what they don't got. You don't have to elevate this person or bring this person down. Matter of fact, if you feel like maybe they're lower, you need, to, you need to put a little extra on elevating them and letting them know that they are a child of the living God. They're somebody special. They've got true riches. They've got the love of God in their heart. And so when we have judgments with evil thoughts, we simply start to look at people for how they can benefit us instead of looking for people on how we can bless them. You ever done that? Now, people do this subconsciously. I notice it oftentimes. Like, like you, you, you want to get to know people who can benefit you. Well, you know, that person's got some political pool. Let's go over and talk to them a little bit. You know what I'm saying? What if we get in a bind? Amen. It's rough being in public service sometimes because if you're in a powerful position, you get a lot of that. People come to you. Hey, boy, you care to help me out, man. You care to help me. I, I mean, that stuff happens. But what you end up doing is when you're looking for that, how can these people benefit me? You forget to see the people that really matter and some of the best people in the world because you're only looking for people who can benefit you rather than who you can bless. Who you are is far more important than what you have. And here's the thing. You know, this is interesting because we're in Clay County, and I don't know if you knew this or not, but Clay County has actually been, and I want you to think about this for a minute, Clay County, Kentucky, based on median annual household income is the fourth poorest county in the nation right here right here where we live right here where I'm standing this morning we got about 26,000 median annual household income as of 2020 and nationwide it's 67,000 so when you think about poverty there's generational poverty in our county there is there are issues of lack of education there are issues of drug addiction there are issues of gov- government assistance gone wrong. All kinds of deeply embedded issues here in southeastern Kentucky. There, there, there was, there's been drug epidemics for quite some time that have led, led to that deep in poverty, no doubt. And then there's job situations. There's not as many resources. But here's the thing. Most of us who live here in Clay County, do we feel that way? Like, do you feel like the fourth poorest county in the nation? You don't really feel that way, do you? Because, because And here's the reason is because at the end of the day, stuff is not what brings you joy. So there's two things that we hold in the balance here. We hold in the balance that, hey, there are some people in some legitimate poverty that need our help. And we as an individual... Can look out for those people and help those people when they're in need. And we need to pay attention to that who need people who lead, need legitimate help. But on the other hand, we need to praise God because guess what? We've got the opportunity as the fourth poorest county in the nation to have true riches in Jesus Christ. And so you have those things and you hold those things in tension and in the balance. But we come to this place where here's the thing number four, we may not all be rich, but we can all be rich in love. Amen. We may not all be rich, y'all. I don't know. Look, the way it's looking in my life, I probably ain't ever going to be rich. I, told, I asked somebody the other day, Dan said something about it. I, I made some chicken legs one time. He said, buddy, if I ever get rich, I'm going to hire you to make me chicken legs. I'll pay you $75,000 a year just to make chicken legs. I said, done, sold. Let's do it. I said, what have you been doing, playing a lottery or something? Yeah, but here's the thing. We, 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 we fantasize about stuff like that, don't we? What if we stopped fantasizing about getting rich, hitting the lottery, what we'd do with that money, and we started fantasizing about if we were really truly filled with the power of God, if we were really truly filled with the Holy Spirit and we were able to impact a community on a level that was beyond money. People think, well, if we just get the government, send more money down here to Manchester, we'd fix things. No, you won't. If we would get filled with the fire of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and we'd start to think about changing generations we would truly see legitimate change. Because when you get more money, you can deal with some externals, and it can bring some amount of change. Don't get me wrong. It can bring some amount of change, but it doesn't get down to the heart issues. We need the Lord. We need the Spirit of God at work in our lives. And so you may not be rich, but you can be rich in love. And what love means, here's the thing. Jesus said, They come to Jesus. They said, man, what's the greatest commandment? And if you remember in the Old Covenant, there were 613 laws. They were so nitpicky about these laws that they got in an argument. They tried to divide one, so they had like years-long conversation on whether or not it should be 613 or 614. But they wanted to keep every single one of them down to the letter. And when they asked Jesus, hey, what's the most important of all the laws? He says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He condensed it down to those two things, which are centered around love. And here's what love means. Love means you are my priority. But judgment means, or partiality is about selfishness, and it means, how can I benefit myself from you? Love is, I want to benefit you. Partiality is, how can you benefit me? Which side are you living from? I mean, even when people come to church this morning, you know, like what they're thinking is, they come in, how can this church benefit me? That's a good place to start. i tell you how we can benefit you. You can walk with us in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We'll preach you the gospel every time you come in here. We'll mess up sometimes because we're just people too. But if you'll forgive us, we'll forgive you as well. And we'll love you and you'll love us and we'll grow together as brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God. And here's what's going to happen. Your heart will change and you'll no longer be thinking about how can this church benefit me. You'll be thinking how can I benefit the church, the people of God. And everything starts to switch wide because God now gives you a heart where it's not centered on selfishness, it's centered on love. And how do we give and how do we serve and how do we move into this position outside of selfishness? Now, when you're thinking about loving too, I mean, it's, it's an issue because how many of you are married? Well, I should say, if you are married, you've experienced this where your spouse has said, you know what? I mean, I just don't feel loved. Anybody ever know what I'm talking about right there? I just don't feel love. Because here's the thing, when pe- there, there, are five, there are five love languages in this one book that this one guy wrote, right? Some people like like words of affirmation, acts of service. Like Andrea, I could do some things for her. Nobody, if I wash the dishes, son, that woman will break down and weep. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about right there? Women. If I wash the dishes, if I, do, like if I just go out and start her car without having me and ass, I can't believe you did that. I'm just like, love languages, friends. So my here's the thing. And this is something that Donald Sims always said. But if your love don't work in your house, don't export it. If your love don't work with your spouse and your babies, don't bring it to nobody else. Religious people can get super caught up in serving the church and loving people and making people projects and loving people outside and forget to love the people in their family. It starts at home, it bleeds into the church and out into the world and all of a sudden we start to see God move in miraculous way. Here's my last point. The world runs on judgment. The church runs on mercy. Man, people are, in the world, people are going to judge you. If you're a Christian, you're going to get judged. If you're a Republican, Democrat, you're going to get judged. Whatever, whatever you're going to be, you're black, you're white, you're rich, you're poor, people, the world will judge you. Your social status, whether or not you got a good job, whether or not you graduated high school, the world's going to judge you based on those things. Because the world runs on judgment, but the church runs on mercy. Ending James out, he says, For whoever keeps the whole law, verse 10... But fails in one point point, has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Now notice, this is the last verse here. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. See, the core idea of judgment is that you are deserving of a penalty. And we look at the world and what people... Like right now, there are people who are judging people in the world and they just say, you know what? Those people voted that way. They believe that. They believe that. They deserve to be silenced. It's a judgment that we make on people. We don't want them to talk anymore. Ship them out of the nation. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we, we make these judgments against people. There was a guy, I was reading this story about a guy named Dirk Willems. He was an Anabaptist back in the 1500s. And the Anabaptists were people who basically they they, they made it, they were in the Protestant movement. They were breaking away from the Catholic Church. They believed that you shouldn't baptize infants. It should be a public profession of faith, then you baptize them based on their public profession of faith. Well, they got heavily persecuted. The problem with the Anabaptists was is they didn't believe that you should adhere or give your allegiance to any government. And they were complete pacifists. So they were the only bunch in in that whole thing that weren't defending themselves. So they were dying in mass because they were being persecuted. And when they were persecuted, they would either drown them or behead them. Dirk Williams was was a minister in the Anabaptist movement. He gets arrested, so he's either going to be beheaded or he's going to be drowned. He escapes prison, which is what I would have tried to do, too, if I wasn't going to fight nobody. You know what I'm talking about? He escapes because he's wrongly charged just for believing Jesus, preaching the gospel, and being a pacifist. He escapes, and one of the guards chases him down. Well, Dirk Williams makes a, makes a, a risky move and runs over a frozen pond, and makes it across the guard running after him, boom sinks into the water and is hanging on for dear life because the undercurrent under him is about to take him away and he's holding on. He cries out to Dirk Williams, please have mercy on me. He's faced with a choice. Judgment says, this dude right here deserves to die. He was going to kill me wrongfully. I should let him go. That's what judgment says. Dirk Williams decides to show him mercy. He goes back. Pulls him out of there. Now here's what he knew. He knew that the punishment for escaping and going back was worse than drowning or beheading. It was actually being burned alive at the stake. So he pulls him out. And I would have imagined, well, once I pull this guy out, he'll probably let me go, you know, I saved his life. The guy rearrests him, takes him back. They burned Dirk Willems at the stake, alive. And that's a little bit of an insane story. But when it comes right down to it, he showed radical mercy and I believe in that moment as crazy as that story is he was demonstrating the true heart of God that even though we were we, look we killed Jesus that's what you have to understand see he's, go, he's going through this process and he's saying look if you've broken one law you've broken them all you're guilty of all of them. so you can't come into the house of God you can't come before God and say well you know I'm not Adolf Hitler well congratulations I've not killed anybody well aren't you a great person Jesus said, if you are angry at your brother without a cause, you've already got murder in your heart. He says, if you've looked upon a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery in her heart. What he's trying to say is that we are all sinners in deserving of that judgment, deserving to be released to death, but yet Jesus comes back for us. And he reaches out and takes us by the hand. Even if Jesus knew we was going to kill him anyway, which we did, He's coming for us because He's a God who shows mercy. And that's what He says. He says, mercy triumphs over judgment. And Jesus taught, He says, look, guys, with the judgment that you place on other people in judgment day, that same judgment's going to be rendered to you. He says, so when you look at your brother who's got a speck in their eye, He said, you need to look carefully to your own plank that is in your own eye. And if you'll pull the plank out of your own eye, then maybe you can look a little bit more carefully to help your brother with the respect. But see, the problem is we all, it's so easy for us to judge other people's sins and not our own. We get a buzz out of it. Because if I can judge you, I feel like you're on team wrong and I'm on team right. And that feels good. This is why we argue on social media. This is why we stand against people. It's because we feel good when we're on team right. Don't we? And he says, before you make those judgments... He says, you need to understand the heart of God. You need to extend the same mercy to those people that I have extended to you in the Lord Jesus Christ because we're all running in one direction and you can either run in the, in, the, in the direction of judgment or you can run in the direction of mercy because at the end of this life, every single one of us will be judged by a holy God, period. And for those who turn from sin, repent of their sin and say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I need this salvation. And experience that mercy. See, you have to realize what you would be, where you would be without this mercy of God. The end of this life, there is eternal separation from God, or there is eternal bliss with the Lord of glory. And He says, You have to take this into account because God has offered us this mercy in Jesus. And if you are a Christian, He's saying you need to show this same mercy to other people. Don't be partial but let me give you let, let me give you new eyes to see the world and see the people around you with Amen I want you to bow your heads with me for those of you that's not received the mercy of God and you're running towards judgment and here's the reason you're running towards judgment maybe you think you're just you're, you're a good enough person but see our goodness is not what gets us into heaven our goodness It's not what makes us born again. What happens is we're all sinners before God, but we come to a moment where the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. We realize that we are sinners in need of a Savior. We need the mercy of God. And He has come to die for you so that you could be saved and have eternal life. That you don't have to have fear of judgment or of punishment because He took that punishment in your place. If you're here this morning, and you want to receive that salvation. I want to give you an opportunity. Now, this is not what saves you, but there, it's a faith act of saying, I, I, want, I want to pray. I want to come to God. I want to repent of my sins. If that's you, just as an act of faith, raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to turn to the Lord Jesus. I want to let him do a work in my heart. Put it up where I can see it. I see one back there. Now, I just want to pray. I just want to pray with you. And for the rest of us, I want you to pray about your own heart? Where have you shown partiality? Where have you not been able to let God move in your heart in a way that glorifies Him in lifting others up who may be outcast? So, Father, right now we come and we ask You for Your mercy, Lord Jesus. We ask You for Your Spirit to come right now in power. Lord, for this one that's got His hand lifted, I pray, Lord Jesus, with Him, that as we confess our sins, Lord, Your Word says that You are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I pray that you bring salvation into his heart, God, in Jesus' precious name. And Lord, for the rest of us, I just pray, God, that this word would take root in our hearts. Lord, that we would recognize that even though the world runs on judgment, the church is called to run on mercy, Lord that, Lord, you've torn down every barrier and every wall that would make us make a distinction. We don't look at people as those who can benefit us, but we look at people, God, as those who are deserving of your love and of your mercy. And God, we ask you to us by your Spirit to minister to them powerfully. And this morning, Lord, I'm just asking you to extend your mercy and your grace and your empowerment to each person that's struggling this morning, that's going through difficulty, to encourage them, to lift them up, God, to remind them that they are a child of God, called and anointed by your Spirit to do what you've called them to do. So, Father, I ask you to move as we work.